The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, help us honor your name as we exult in the reality that from you and through you and to you are all things. Amen. God is supreme. That's what Romans 11.36 teaches. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Several years ago, I asked one of my friends to design this verse so that I could display it on canvas above the fireplace in our home. And this is what he designed, and that's what's above our fireplace today. This passage teaches that God is supreme. To say that that God is supreme means that God is superior to everyone and everything else. Infinitely superior. God has no rivals. God is unique. Listen to some other scripture passages that teach that there is no one like God. So Moses says, there is no one like the Lord our God. The Lord said to Moses, there is none like me in all the earth. Moses said, there is none like God who rides through the heavens to your help through the skies in his majesty. King David prayed, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God besides you. God declares through Isaiah, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. And Jeremiah prays, there is none like you, O Lord. You are great and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O King of the nations? For this is your due. For among all the wise ones of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. There is no one like the Lord, our God, the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. God is in a class all by himself. So the universe is everything that is not God. And God is supreme over everything that is not God. God is supreme over the universe. So this is the second in a three-part sermon series on our church's mission statement. Here it is. We exist. That's the main idea. And we heard a sermon on this last week. The purpose is we exist to spread a passion. The nature of that passion is for the supremacy of God. And the the sphere, the realm of that supremacy is in all things, without exception. And the purpose we exist to spread a passion for the supremacy of God in all things is for the joy of all peoples, and that's through Jesus Christ. John Piper Our church's pastor emeritus wrote this mission statement in 1993, and God has used Pastor John to champion these truths through his entire ministry, and the elders of Bethlehem Baptist Church are committed to continue this big God theology. 
This is a precious truth that we live for and that we would die for. Here's how Piper put it in 1995 when he explained this mission statement to our church. Some of you were here. You might remember this. God is absolutely supreme. He is the greatest of all beings. He's the first and the last. There is none like him. He is infinite, eternal, and unchanging in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And yet, how important is he on television or at work or in advertising or movies or sport or shopping malls? Those who grasp this mission statement are stunned by the incredible neglect of God in our world. If he is supreme, if he's the most important reality in the universe, creating all, upholding all, governing all, calling all to account, then his virtual insignificance in our culture is the most appalling, terrifying, heartbreaking thing in the world. In this setting, our mission is to lift a banner and blow a trumpet and live a life called the supremacy of God. Our mission is to soak life with the supremacy of God. Our mission is to bring all of life into connection with God. Our mission is to exult in the fact that there's not a square inch of this planet or a single moment in time over which our God does not say, Mine. Our mission is is to live in the presence of God every moment of every day, everywhere we are, and savor His supremacy there. So the second sermon is on our church's mission statement, middle part, what's in the blue box here, the supremacy of God in all things. And that's the title of our sermon, the supremacy of God in all things. The main point is three words. God is supreme. And our text is Romans eleven thirty six. From him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Now before I explain and exult in Romans eleven thirty six, let's briefly see how this passage fits in its immediate literary context and read verses thirty three to thirty six. This is a, a phrase diagram. Let's just read through it, and then I'll explain what you're looking at here. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So notice this has three major parts here. The first part is verse 33, and it has three exclamations about God. His riches and wisdom and knowledge are deep, and his judgments and ways are unsearchable and inscrutable. The next word is the word for, which is showing that these three questions are supporting those three exclamations about God. And these three questions are rhetorical questions. And a rhetorical question has the force of a statement. So when, uh, when, when uh, verse 34 says, who has known the mind of the Lord? The statement you could translate it into is, no one has fully known the mind of the Lord. And that second question, who's been his counselor? No one has been God's counselor. Or third, who's given a gift to him that God must repay him? No one has done that. 
And you notice the color coding here. I think that the, the terms riches, wisdom, and knowledge in the opening line correspond with the questions. So who has known the mind of the Lord corresponds with, oh, the depth of the knowledge of God. Or who's been his counselor corresponds with, oh, the depth of the wisdom of God. Who's given a gift to him that he might be repaid corresponds with, oh, the depth of the riches of God. It's beautiful. I think this is poetry. And then the next word introduces our text, for. So these three prepositional phrases, from him, through him, to him, are supporting those three rhetorical questions, which support the three exclamations. And the whole section, all the way through the prepositions, culminate right here. To him be glory forever is an inference of everything above it. So now that's, that's just to get our bearings in the passage, and we're going to zoom in now on verse 36, which will break into four parts. Main idea is that God is supreme, and we'll look at this in four steps. First, from him are all things, then through him are all things, and to him are all things, and finally, to him be glory forever. Amen. First, from him are all things. From him are all things. God is the source of all things. He's the supreme creator. God is the source of all things. He is the supreme creator. Listen to some other scripture passages that teach that God is the source of all things. 1 Corinthians 8, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things. 1 Corinthians 11, all things are from God. Paul says of Christ in Colossians 1, our text from last week that Stephen preached on, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And then in Hebrews, the writer says that God has spoken to us by his Son, through whom also he created the world. God is the supreme creator. Listen to some other passages that teach that, that God created the universe. The very first line in the Bible, God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He's the supreme creator. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Psalm 33, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Why? For he spoke, he just spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Isaiah, the Lord says in Isaiah 44, I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. Jeremiah says, it is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. When I teach on the doctrine of creation in my systematic theology courses, I typically show the students a 23-minute video called Created Cosmos. And I show the video because it helps us get a sense of how big the universe is and how small we are. And the video just, just explains sizes and distances in a stunning way. And the way it ends, I think, is breathtaking. So after going through the universe from Earth outwards, 
It then flips around and it, it, just, it zooms in by a factor of 10 every four seconds. And it just zooms through galaxy after galaxy after galaxy and it finally enters our Milky Way galaxy. And then you see our sun is a distant star and finally Earth is a little dot and then it zooms all the way down onto our planet. And when you, th- you think of yourself in relation to the rest of the universe, how do you feel? You feel very small. And that's how you should feel, because you are small, and God is infinite. When you think of yourself in relation to the rest of the universe, you should feel like this. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, Look, notice the second line here, and marked off the heavens with a span? You know what a span is? It's a distance from your outstretched thumb to your little finger. That's a span. So it's not like he's measured the heavens with 10 zillion spans. It's, what does it say? A span. Makes you feel pretty small. All right? Uh, so God created not only the heavens. He created everything that is not God. God created Minnesota's beautiful North Shore. God created firm purple grapes that bursts in your mouth with juicy goodness. Mm. God created human beings as either male or female, such that they're interdependent and they can't live without each other. That's God's idea. He's the creator. God created the human body, the eye, the thumb, the ear, the foot, the immune system, the ingenious combination of bone and blood and muscles, and fat, and hair. God created ants and elephants. God created goldfish and whales. God created ponds and oceans. God created tropical islands and the North Pole. God created the Nile River, the longest in Africa. God created the flatlands in Kansas, Nebraska, North and South Dakota. God created the Grand Canyon. God created the Rocky Mountains. God created the Sunset Cliffs in California. God created every natural resource, including water, air, coal, oil, natural gas, phosphorus, copper, iron, soil, salt, timber. God created chicken and beef and broccoli and potatoes, watermelon, tuna, God created humans with the ability to create with what he's created. So he he created the material for trucks and a smartphone and a king-size mattress and a climate-controlled building and plumbing to get clean water and eliminate sewage. God created the ingredients for sourdough bread, for vanilla ice cream and brownies, for tortilla chips and guacamole. God created every good gift that you enjoy. He created every special grace you enjoy, like forgiven sins, and every common grace you enjoy, like breathing clean air and drinking clean water. God created the world and everything in it. God created everything that is not God. He created the universe. He designed it all. That's why I love to watch a good nature documentary. A good nature documentary is a worship video. 
when you learn about the ways of salmon or bears or eagles or rainforests or deserts or oak trees or tulips or bananas or butterflies, you exclaim, wow, God designed that. He is infinitely creative and intelligent and wise. And because God created us, he owns us and we are accountable to him. That's reality. God created you. Therefore, he owns you and you owe him. And that's true for every one of us. So friend, if you are not gladly worshiping and following God, the creator, God will hold you accountable. There's good news about God, the creator. Jesus, the son of God, lived and died and rose again for sinners like you. And God will save you if you turn from your sins and trust Jesus. From him are all things. God is the source of all things. He's the supreme creator. Second, through him are all things. God is the means of all things. God is the supreme king. God is the means of all things. God is the supreme king. Listen to some other scripture passages that teach that God is the means of all things. Paul says of Christ in Colossians 1, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Ephesians 4, There's one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. The Son, according to Hebrews 1, upholds the universe by the word of His power. By His powerful word, He upholds the entire universe. The author of Hebrews describes the Son by whom all things exist. God is the means of all things. To say that God is the means of all things is to say He's the supreme sustainer. He sustains all all things. Or to put it another way, God is supremely sovereign. He's a supreme king. He rules all things. Listen to some other scripture passages that teach that God is the supreme king. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice and let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. The Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. The story of the Bible is about God, the King. And God's sovereignty, His rule, is not merely general. It is specific. It is meticulous. It is absolute. God supremely rules over even the evil that humans freely choose to commit. So God's sovereignty and human responsibility are compatible. One doesn't cancel out the other. Joseph explained to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. 
the Lord proclaims, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Amos proclaimed, does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? Peter preached on Pentecost. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, that's God's sovereignty, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. That's human responsibility right next to each other. Same thing in Acts 4. Truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. That's human responsibility. And what are they doing? To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. God's sovereignty and human responsibility right next to each other. Did we lose it? There we go. Our, churches, our church has an elder affirmation of faith that has a section that puts this beautifully. We believe that God from all eternity, in order to display the full extent of his glory for the eternal and ever-increasing enjoyment of all who love him, did by the most wise and holy counsel of his will freely and unchangeably ordain and foreknow whatever comes to pass. We believe that God upholds and governs all things from galaxies to subatomic particles, from the forces of nature to the movements of nations, and from the public plans of politicians to the secret acts of solitary persons, all in accord with his eternal, all-wise purposes to glorify himself, yet in such a way that he never sins nor ever condemns a person unjustly, but that his ordaining and governing all things is compatible with the moral accountability of all persons created in his image. The all-good God is supremely sovereign over all things. God is supremely sovereign over every single respiratory droplet and airborne particle that transmits COVID-19. God is supremely sovereign over the Milky Way galaxy and every other galaxy beyond ours, every planet, every star, every moon, every inch of this universe. God is supremely sovereign over every water droplet, every fire ember, every snowflake, every gust of wind. As R.C. Sproul often said, if God is sovereign, there's no maverick molecule. We often will say something like, it's raining or it's snowing, but that's not how the Bible speaks about rain and snow usually. From God's perspective, God causes it to rain. God causes it to snow. He's sovereign over the weather. God is supremely sovereign over moral evil, including murder, rape, sex trafficking, totalitarian regimes, unjust war, unjust poverty, physical abuse, terrorist attacks like 9-11, racism, genocide. God is supremely sovereign, not just over moral evil, but over natural evil, including sickness, cancer, disability, physical injuries, animal suffering, floods, avalanches, tornadoes, tsunamis, fatal accidents, fatal diseases, famines. 
That's why we just sang that line from the Isaac Watts hymn. Clouds arise and tempests blow by order from your throne. God is supremely sovereign over every nation, including the United States and Canada and Mexico and England and China and North Korea and Afghanistan and Kenya and Australia. God is supremely sovereign over every human ruler, including Joe Biden and Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping. God is supremely sovereign over good angels, including the archangel Michael. And God is supremely sovereign over demons, including our adversary, the devil. That snake and dragon. God is supremely sovereign over the scheming of your enemies and dishonest politicians and thieves. Some of you might not know how to distinguish those three. Uh, God is supremely sovereign over evil systems of government and uh, evil systems, excuse me, evil systems of thought that view relationships primarily through the lens of power. That is that those with more power are inherently oppressors and those with less power are inherently oppressed. God is supremely sovereign over false accusations that damage your reputation. God is supremely sovereign over choosing to save you. We call that the doctrine of election. And God is supremely sovereign over causing you to be born again, regeneration. God is supremely sovereign over giving you the gift of repentance and faith, conversion. God is supremely sovereign over declaring you to be righteous through Christ, justification. God is supremely sovereign over making you a member of his family, adoption. God is supremely sovereign over transforming you into the image of Christ, progressive sanctification. God is supremely sovereign over enabling you to continue to depend on him and to mature in Christ, perseverance. Through him are all things. God is the means of all things. He's the supreme king. Third, to him are all things. God is not just the source and the means of all things. He is the end of all things. God is the supreme goal. He's the end of all things, the supreme goal. Listen to some other scripture passages that teach that God is the end of all things. There is one God, the Father, for whom we exist. He's the end of our very existence. Paul says of Christ, all things are created through him and for him. Hebrews, author of Hebrews describes the Son, for whom and by whom all things exist. God is the end, the goal of all things. And yet, tragically, most people don't live like that's true. I've adapted this table from Mark Leiderbach and Evan Leno's book, uh, Ethics as Worship. And the first column asks the question, who, what or who is the ultimate goal or purpose that drives how you live? For many people, it's caring for yourself, it's personal happiness, pleasure, satisfaction. For others, it's caring for humans, whether a subset like your family or humanity in general. For others, it's caring for all living things in their environment. And for others, it's glorifying God by enjoying him. Second column asks the question, who or what has ultimate moral status? Who or what do you functionally worship? 
And for that first group, it's yourself. For the second, it's humans. For the third, it's all living things in their environment. And for the fourth, it's God. You see, everyone worships. The question is, who or what are you worshiping? And God commands us, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. God is the ultimate end of all things, and everything has value as it relates to God. God is the supreme goal. God did not design you so that you could follow your heart and find yourself and be your selfish self. God made you for something so much bigger. The point of everything is not you. It's not your family. It's not humanity in general. It's not nature. It's not nothing. The point of everything is God. God made you for himself. God is the purpose, the end, the goal. That's why everything that is not God exists. God made us for God. Everything that is, that is not God points to God, highlights God, magnifies God. It's supposed to exalt God, to make much of God. It's all about God. To Him are all things. This is probably the most famous Q&A in all catechisms. What is the chief end of man? Answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Now, question. Are the phrases to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever two distinct parallel activities? Is it like saying, my goal this afternoon is to work out and to get some rest? Like, two different things. Or is it more like saying, my goal this afternoon is to get some rest by taking a nap? That's one thing and a way of doing it. You see the difference? So, What's, what's going on here? Is it you can glorify God and enjoy Him, two separate, distinct, parallel activities? Or is one predominant and the other is a way of doing that one? That's why John Piper has suggested a way to answer the question like this. Man's chief end is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. In other words, glorifying God and enjoying God are not two distinct parallel actions. Rather, enjoying God is the way we glorify God. That's what we call around here Christian hedonism. John Piper has popularized the sentence, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. In other words, we most glorify God when He most satisfies us. There's not a conflict between our responsibility to glorify God and our desire to be happy. Our joy will be most full when we're feeling and thinking and acting in a way that makes much of God. So God is not just the supreme creator and the supreme king. He's the supreme treasure, the supreme pleasure. God is supremely satisfying. And when we live in accord with that reality, what happens is, we get the joy, and God gets the glory, just the way he designed it. And this reality is all over the Bible. 
Here are a few examples from the book of Psalms. You, God, make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Don't be deceived that you'll ever be satisfied, ultimately satisfied, by sex or money or power. The only way to be ultimately satisfied is to enjoy God. That's it. Now, we can still enjoy God's gifts, but not as ultimate ends, not as ends in themselves. We can treasure God by enjoying His gifts, as gracious gifts from Him. To Him are all things. God is the end of all things. He's the supreme goal. So we've considered now three glorious realities. From Him are all things. Through Him are all things. To Him are all things. God's the source, means, and end of all things. That's reality. You can deny reality, but that doesn't change reality. You can deny that a rock is hard. That doesn't make a rock soft. This is reality. God is the source and means and end of all things. Now, what follows from that? Does it make sense for you to reason like this? God is the source, the means, and the end of all things. Therefore, praise me. Does that, does that logically follow? It's, it's like this. If you walk up to the rim of the Grand Canyon, you don't go, look at me. Look how big I am. You walk up and you say, wow. And, and you feel so small as you take in the vastness. And you turn to your friend and you say, look at that. Look at that. So what's the right way to respond to from him and through him and to him are all things. I think there's an implied therefore. It's not in the text, but I think it's implied. Therefore, because God is the source and the means and the end of all things, therefore, to him be glory forever. Amen. God deserves glory forever. That is the only fitting conclusion. God deserves glory forever. Listen to some other passages that teach that God does what he does for his glory. God says to Moses, I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. The psalmist recounts, our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. God describes his people in Isaiah as 
those whom I created for my glory, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Anybody else who speaks this way is nuts, is a megalomaniac. And if God spoke any other way, it wouldn't be appropriate. The Lord says in Ezekiel, I acted for the sake of my name. God does what he does for his own glory. Now listen to some other passages that teach that God alone deserves this glory forever. End of Romans. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Galatians 1. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Ephesians 3. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. End of Philippians. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. 1 Timothy 1. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. End of 2 Timothy. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. 1 Peter 4. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. End of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Revelation 1. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Revelation 7. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Revelation 7. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Are you seeing a pattern? God deserves glory forever. Amen. (laughs) Now our problem is that we are glory thieves. We steal glory that belongs to God. We're sinners who don't think of sin as the big deal that it really is. So what is sin? Listen to how John Piper defines sin. Sinning is any feeling or thought or speech or action that comes from a heart that does not treasure God over all other things. And the bottom of sin, the root of all sinning, is such a heart, a heart that prefers anything else above God, a heart that does not treasure God above or over all other persons and all other things. What is sin? Sin is the glory of God not honored the holiness of God not reverenced, the greatness of God not admired, the power of God not praised, the truth of God not sought, the wisdom of God not esteemed, the beauty of God not treasured, the goodness of God not savored, the faithfulness of God not trusted, the promises of God not believed, the commandments of God not obeyed, the justice of God not respected, the wrath of God not feared, the grace of God not cherished, the presence of God not prized, the person of God not loved. Why is it that people can become emotionally and morally indignant over 
poverty and exploitation and prejudice and abortion and the infractions of religious liberty and the manifold injustices of man against man and yet feel little or no remorse or indignation or outrage that God is disregarded, disbelieved, disobeyed, dishonored, and thus belittled by millions and millions of people in the world? And the answer is sin. And that is the ultimate outrage of the universe. All sinners, all of us are sinners, all humans are sinners, and we seek glory for ourselves. We put ourselves in the place of God. We trust our own senses, our own experiences, our own reasoning, and we think that we know better than God does. We disregard God. We disbelieve God. We disobey God, and thus we belittle God because we want the glory. We're glory thieves, and that offends the white, hot holiness of our glorious God. So get your eyes off yourself and gaze at God. James Montgomery Boyce insightfully uses Daniel 4.30 to illustrate this. So King Nebuchadnezzar asked this question, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? So Nebuchadnezzar is saying that this great city of Babylon and its empire, which he admired and desired more than anything else in the world, was from him. I've built it. It's through him. It's by my mighty power. And it's to him. It's for the glory of my majesty. He's saying Babylon is from me and through me and to me. What folly to think that you can say that about anything from me and through me and to me as anything. God deserves glory as the source and the means and the end of all things. Therefore, to him be glory forever. Amen. So the message of Romans eleven thirty six is that God is supreme. From him are all things. He's the source of all things. He's the supreme creator. Through him are all things. He's the means of all things. He's the supreme king. To him are all things. God is the end of all things. He's the supreme goal. Therefore, to him be glory forever. That is why we exist. We exist to spread a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ. And that's our mission because God made us for God. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that you are supreme. We savor your supremacy in all things. You're the source, the means, the end of all things. You are the supreme creator, the supreme king, the supreme goal. Therefore, you deserve glory forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, 
spreading the passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.